This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. If you are a parent of little ones, you've probably heard of Maggie Dent. She is the queen of common sense parenting and her podcast is essential listening for all parents. She's actually turned that podcast, Parental as Anything, into a book which I've recently bought and it's a no-nonsense guide to raising happy, healthy kids from toddlers to tweens. So exciting to have you on the show, Maggie Dent. Good morning. How are you? So excited to be able to chat to a real parent with little ones. I love yeah. it. Well, look, let's let's start with your podcast because in it you deal with a lot of parenting dilemmas that are sent in by listeners. What are some of the most common issues that parents struggle with? Well, we do cover the full spectrum and that's the um, that's the interesting bit. I think that sort of there for a while we were, you know, not necessarily covering both ends. Mm. You know, um, and so we look at everything. You know, we ask parents, what are the what are the things that confuse you today? Um, and the list is pretty long. We're into our fourth series. Um, and I think probably the key ones um, are trying to understand how we navigate parenting today, which is very different to necessarily how we were parented because the digital landscape hadn't arrived. Um, and there are other big shifts in the world that means it's actually... I think it's harder today because there's too much information, too much pressure, there's too much judgment, and that's even without being, you know, in the Insta world where people put up perfect photos of perfect-looking children. So I think what it's done, it's made parents doubt themselves, and that's what kind of what I want to be as a guide that, that, you know, if you've got this going on, these are some of the reasons why it's probably developmentally very normal and healthy. Mm. However, these are some of the things you might be able to try in your home that may help you manage that rather than just, you know, losing it. In the book, you mention uh, something called a 20% day. Can you explain what that is? <laughs> oh, look, and one of the reasons I think I have such a following is because of my 20% rule. And that is there are some days, no matter how well planned we are no matter how how we've got it sorted we're going to get out the door by this time you know we've done the backwards time thing from the time we get out of bed or you know we've cooked a delicious meal you know it just doesn't go to plan you know there's a random poo they can't find something or you gave them the wrong color cup just before they were going to leave and so you've now got a crying child instead of a happy child they're the 20 percent moments in parenting that are absolutely normal and we need to forgive ourselves for those and not think we're a lousy parent. And that's what I'm finding is that, you know, and I had four boys and at one point, you know, picking up everyone after their, particularly in winter, mm. you know, sport or extracurricular stuff. And I'd get home and I had the best intentions to cook a delicious dinner. I was full-time teaching, um, you know, and I, there were just some days, not very often, only 20% where I said, you know what, tonight make your own toasted ham, cheese and tomato sandwiches. I'm, I'm done, you know, like make as many as you like, right? That won't ruin your child's life. If they don't have a bath, that's not going to ruin your child's life, mm. you know, and we need to let ourselves have those 20% days. Seriously, but when it's 80% of the time, I'd probably seek some more help. <laughs> you do dedicate a chapter in this book as well to the idea of roosters and lambs based on a child's temperament. How does or how much does your kids' personality impact the way that you parent? Oh, look, it's enormous. And if there's one thing I, you know, like when I was actually doing these big long tours, um, when I was talking about roosters and lambs, it's like these epiphany light bulb moments were happening. And I thought, 
I don't think anyone's spoken to parents about temperament because it does come in on that little genome on the DNA. So look around your family. So we talk about it in either end so that the roosters land with an enormous amount of energy. Seriously. Um, uh, They are also um, feisty. They are, I think... They're wired to have a bigger sense of their own importance. They hate losing. They want to win at all costs. They love challenge and change and they do risky things. Mm. And at the other end are our sensitive lambs who are so sweet as babies. They make you look like an awesome parent. Um, They sometimes take themselves off for a nap. So we love them, but at the same time we can't leave them there because they're more prone to being the victims in our world and we won't want that happening. So our my challenge is if you've got one that's at either end and lots of them have just got mixtures, we need to put them somewhere in the middle. We've got to put some lamb in that rooster to build some empathy and thoughtfulness and we've got to put a bit of assertiveness and courage into our lamb and that's kind of what the temperament bit is. So does that make sense? It does make good sense. And and in both roosters and lambs, I feel, have big feelings, no matter what yeah. no matter what their personality temperament is. But do you have any tips for navigating full-blown toddler meltdowns? I might be asking for a friend here, Maggie. Asking for a friend, I love it. Okay, so, Sam, let's just get one of the really, I mean, palpable size of relief I get from parents is when I tell them that meltdowns and tantrums are developmentally completely normal. They're meant to happen. And the main reason they're meant to happen is our little ones have got in a, you know, gradually growing brain architecture. Mm. So when we feel stress, we'll go and make ourselves a cuppa or something, don't we, or eat chocolate. They can't do that. So what happens is as cortisol builds up in the brain, it feels yucky in the body. And so what a tantrum and a meltdown is, is them discharging these big, ugly feelings out of the body. And eventually they come to a calmer place. Now, can I also explain the difference and between the two? So the meltdown is what we call a bottom-up in the brain response, and that means that uh, a little one, and it can be a teenager too, there's been some unmet needs and challenges that have happened that have gradually overloaded the nervous system till it floods with cortisol. The top-down is when you said no to the biscuit before dinner, cut their toast the wrong way or said no to the toy in the toy shop. So there's a trigger But the same, it's exactly kind of the same as the way it comes out. So we need to recognise it's not lousy parenting. It's not a lousy child. It is a child responding to their environment and they're not coping rather than being naughty or bad. A big part of the toddler's day is playing. How hands-on should we be with our little ones playing and and how do we encourage independent play when they come to us and say, ah, play with me or I don't know what to do? How do we do that? Such a good question because play has become kind of like such a complicated thing where it's actually not very complicated. So what we know is is the essential essence of play, uh, especially for children under eight, is that they're biologically wired to use what's called a seeking mechanism in the brain to uh, interact with the world in playful ways to work out how it works. So they're, they're actually having a form of play while they unravel a toilet roll and shove it down the toilet, right? It's a form of play. It's not a malicious attempt to drive mum or dad crazy. So when we sort of start to see that, they're curious about the world and they need to use all of their senses in order to work out how it works. And through play, they do that, which is why we keep on saying, do everything you can 
to allow it to occur. However, it's great if sometimes we are a part of their play, but not always. And the key is it's child-driven rather than adult-driven. Does that make sense? So the more adult-driven it is, the less that beautiful seeking mechanism is growing in its optimal way. So how do we get them? If Some of our children do this just spontaneously and easily, right? Um, And some need some help. So when they're asking to play with you, they're probably telling you that in some way their whole world doesn't feel as connected to you as they need to be, right? So we look at that attachment issue, which is, unbelievable, unconditional love that means I love you even when you wake me up 15 times a night. So it's looking at can I fill their love cup in other ways and I guarantee they'll give you that space a bit more. But one of the key aspects, really important, is opportunity for autonomous free play in the natural world with as many children of multi-ages as possible because our children aren't playing in neighbourhoods at the same level they used to play at because watching older children do things is how younger children often do it. They don't always need, you know, mums and dads to do all those teachings. Mm. Say, you know, it's the end of the day and I'm over in the kitchen cooking dinner. I can see my two little ones, uh, you know, they're sitting nicely, but then suddenly there's a bit of a fight that emerges Should we referee all the fights or let them sort it out themselves? Such a good question. So sibling rivalry is also biologically natural and normal and healthy until everyone, someone gets seriously hurt. So (laughs) most of the time it is actually important for us to be able to step back and allow them to work it out themselves. And if they can't, we step in and say, look, okay, so what is the problem here? So we help them identify what's created the problem. And, And what are your thoughts on fixing it? Right, rather than us go in as judge and executioner. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's a really important thing. So for me when I heard, and what we've actually found is that children, um, they're very different in their capacity to manage their energy in their body, Sam. So some children will run out of energy Mm. and others will Mm. hype up energy and that's when a conflict often occurs because they're just in an agitated, dysregulated state. So some of the sibling stuff is, is just in response to their own feelings in their body. So mine, when I could hear that, always keep tuned into voices and you'll hear when they start escalating. And that's kind of when we can go in with a plate full of, you know, fruit. Uh, We might go running in and do a few circles as a dinosaur. Um, Or like I did, open the door and let everyone go outside for a while and have five minutes in the fresh air. And I'm having a cup of tea and I'll be back soon. Because what we do in moving location or giving fruit, we actually create the neurochemicals which are the opposite to the cortisol, which is, you know, again, what happens when they they get upset, that, that triggers the, the yucky stress hormone. So can you see if we're like a, um, we are the key person who can change the dynamics of the brain by the actions we take. So if we race up there with a growly voice, all we do is escalate everything, mm. escalate everything. And, um, and then everybody loses it, not just what's going on. So funny when I used to do that to the boys and, and let them all go outside for five minutes. I'd go up and say, five minutes, you can all come back in. And they had a completely new game going outside and didn't want to come back in. So sometimes, you know, we are the orchestrator of the environment. Mm. Yeah, but in actual fact, sibling rivalry prepares us for working in work environments with people who aren't very pleasant. I'm 
fairly certain there's people listening right now and, and many who would have contacted you on your show to ask about screen time. And yeah. is screen time as bad as we think it is? Isn't it also got some educational and playful qualities? What's your take on that, Maggie? Oh, look, um, screen time, I think you've got to remember I raised my sons with a TV, which is technically a screen. Yeah. So when we're talking screen times, we're mainly talking handheld devices or computers and things because TV's been around forever. Um, so the handheld ones, the key issues we have is that they are wired to keep our kids' attention glued in that fixed position. We now have children with um, uh, posture problems because of the hunchness and they're not outside playing. Uh, we have children with increased myopia because this isn't good for the eyes. The eyes need to be stretching themselves with lots of distances. Remember what playing outside does? All of these things. So our challenge is to keep a balance between green and screen. And I would suggest as little as possible up to five because all those senses need to be engaged in activities that build a whole child. Yeah. Um, and if you do need some time, stick them in front of a good TV, your TV, because they will not access pornography in front of your TV. They will not see an image that's going to shatter their innocence forever. Um, and there's nothing better than a few good cartoons, uh, particularly on non-commercial challenge, which is ABC Ivy is perfect nowadays. We know they can't see anything else. Nothing like a few episodes of Bluey. What we also know is when they watch a familiar cartoon, the brain doesn't have to predict anything and it really calms down. So it still is the best way to get some space from your kids. Okay, so as they're growing older, um, there's no problem. We can all have joy watching funny cat and dog videos, can't we, on YouTube. Um, we also, there are some things that definitely can facilitate learning and reading eggs is one and mathematics and all those things. Yes, absolutely. However, we've got to watch very carefully because that accesses the big wide world and the digital world. And a really disturbing fact is we've had a almost 500% increase in inappropriate sexual play with children under five. So that says they are seeing those dangerous stuff. So our challenge is how do I raise my children to be responsible, respectful digital citizens? And it's an ongoing space. I would leave getting a smartphone as late as possible. I'd also suggest the dumb phone, which is not the smartphone, which means you can call them and text them and they can't access the digital highway. And constantly monitoring and be very careful that you absolutely know what's going on in each of the apps that your child's on. That we need you to be, as my friend Dr. Christie says in the book, we need parents to be the pilot of the digital plane, not the passenger. And I am concerned that it's contributing to an increase in um, depression and anxiety in our teens because that FOMO stuff, there's all their developmental needs that are met by connection online and they're in control and it's fun and it's risky, all of those things. Um, we need to take them off them at some point so they get a good night's sleep. So there's some really common sense boundaries around how do we navigate this world. But I am going to tell you, it's a very different world and the threats are real. Hmm. So if you're not hooked into the e-safety commissioner's um, website, constantly getting updated with information on how to keep our kids safe and what to do when they're trolled, then please do so. Yeah, so important to be across that. Finally, I want to ask you, it's both statistically and anecdotally, our children are less resilient to those than those of previous generations. What are some practical ways that we can build resilience in our little ones? 
Beautiful. That's such a good question. The first thing is that um, we need to allow children to build what we call capacity. So that means if we encourage them and help them to learn how to dress themselves, feed themselves as soon as they're able to. Absolutely. And also every now and then we've got to recognise that some children will be far more capable in that area than others. So when we let them go into those nature spaces, we want them to go into spaces they can stretch and grow. We're wired as children, to take ourselves to the edge of our own fear every time we go to something. But if mum or dad are frightened, then they're stopping me stretching gradually. Mm. But also that means you do not put a child up onto something because they're four and they should be climbing, right? So it's about really responding and respecting our children's capacities. Uh, Secondly, we need them to become really competent at failing. And, of course, that's one of the things that's been mucked up um, with over-rewarding, we get certificates for everything. Uh, you get prizes for coming last. Mm. So what that's done is mucked up the way that we manage setbacks because resilience is how do I adapt to setbacks and failures in my life? Well, if you've never experienced it, how do you learn it? So we call it emotional buoyancy. So we need children to know, gee, doesn't it suck when you don't win? It feels yucky. It feels yucky for us too. I want mums and dads to model how it feels for them because that's a really important factor. And then how do we get over those things is practice can really help, can't it? Uh, You can't do something yet or let's have another go. So all of those little messages really help our children to recognise that they're not defined by those moments in life and that if we as a family show, and I think COVID's taught us that too in a way, um, it's some things are out of our control. We can't change them. So when we have a, a really adverse event, we look at what we can control underneath that. And what we can control is being loving and kind to each other, (laughs) cooking endless pancakes, watching movies together, and just knowing we can create pockets of joy in amongst a pandemic. Mm. That's what our kids will remember. They'll forget about the empty shelves of toilet paper. They'll forget that the the playgrounds were closed. They will forget all of that. But what they will remember is that we were held in the safety of the love of our family. That's a beautiful way to end this conversation, Maggie Dent. Really appreciate your time, but you can, we've only scratched the surface of what you can find <laughs> in your book, which is called Parental as Anything. It is out now, and really appreciate your time uh, joining me on Hope Breakfast today. Thank you, Maggie. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.